Kennesaw, Georgia. 
Did he come from above the Mason-Dixon line? And I said, well, yes. One of you Yankee devils killed one of my great-great-uncles at Kennesaw Mountain in Kennesaw, Georgia. And there was silence on the phone for just a little while. And he said, well, I need a favor if you would go to Kennesaw. And so there in the shadow of Kennesaw Mountain, I go and look at a man for a Yankee. Forgiveness. Ever held a grudge? Or let something in the past influence your present and determine your future? We probably all have done that, and that's where we're going today. One of the most unforgettable speakers that I've ever heard is a man named Cleve McClary. This is Cleve McClary. Have you ever seen Cleve or heard Cleve speak? A lot of you have. He's an unforgettable character, and you can watch his testimony on YouTube. Cleve was wounded in Vietnam on the 3rd of March, 1968. His left eye was torn from its socket. His left arm was ripped from his elbow. Both eardrums were shattered. His right hand was gone. Both legs shredded with shrapnel. And he had severe trauma to his head. He spent more than two years in military hospitals, going through 30 to 40 surgeries followed by intensive rounds of physical therapy. For his bravery and his leadership, Cleve received three Purple Hearts, the Silver Star, and the Bronze Star. And I met Cleve several years ago when he came to our church in Mississippi, and he is captivated. And one of the things that Cleve said that I will never forget, he said that he lived by the Fido principle. The Fido Principle. And I'll never forget it as long as I live. Fido stands for forget it and drive on. He lives by the Fido Principle. Forget it and drive on. I remember his, he said that life is tough. Are you going to get bitter or are you going to get better? And when somebody speaks to you that has gone through what Cleve says, you remember the final principle and the choices that we have. His point is that some people are so handcuffed to their past that it totally hinders their future. People will say things like, well, I've been injured like Cleve, so I'm not capable. Or they'll say things like, you know, I've been burned, so I won't trust. Did you ever go through that? In college, I was dumped. You ever been dumped? It was hard. And I started a group in college called the Militant Monks. And we swore off with women for several days. And so, <laughs> so I got over it. Uh, we say things like, you know, my upbringing wasn't what it should have been. And so, well, I, that's an anchor. Or I don't have enough education or I don't have enough money or I don't have enough support, so therefore I cannot fill in the blank. Maybe people say, you know, I've been so bad, I've done so much that God can't use me. Or I had a, this is, I've had a bad experience at church, and so I, I, I can't do that. Anymore. The list is in there. 
So in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul talks about moving forward and pressing on. But in this second part of verse 13, the Apostle Paul shares with us the final principle. One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. You see the final principle here? Forget it, drive on. Forgetting the things behind, driving on, reaching the things ahead. Before we go further, let's pray again. Lord, speak to us today. Whatever it is, whatever it might be, work in our lives in this vital principle. Or maybe when we leave this place, there's somebody that needs this, and we can share it with them. Thank you for Cleve's example. Thank you for Paul's example. Thank you for the examples in this room. Help us to all reach ahead for getting things behind. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul was somebody that needed to live by the final principle. I mean, he had quite a past, didn't he? Killing Christians, hunting them down, taking them to jail. He was really a bounty hunter after Christians once upon a time, and became the greatest missionary the world has ever known. But today we're going to look at an Old Testament story. I'm going to tell you an Old Testament story, and we're going to look at a few of the verses. You can read the story later on at home, about the 37th chapter of Genesis through about the 42nd chapter, you find the story of Joseph. Joseph was Jacob's son. He was son number 11. Big family. Jacob, Joseph's father, had a wife named Leah. And they had four boys, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. And Jacob had another wife named Rachel. Rachel couldn't have children, so Rachel gave her husband her servant named Bila. And Rachel and Leah were sisters. This is the best soap opera you will ever see. <laughs> Jacob married sisters. Think about that. So with Rachel's servant, they had two more sons, Dan and Naphtali. Then Leah, not wanting to be outdone, had husband sleep with her servant. Her name was Zilpah. They had two sons, Gad and Asher. And after that, Leah had two more boys with Jacob, Issachar and Zebulun. They also had a daughter, named Dinah. Finally, Rachel, who could not have children, was able to have children. There had to be a good episode on the show. <laughs> Joseph was born. He was the 11th son of Jacob, the 12th child. After Joseph was born, Rachel had one more son for Jacob, and his name was Benjamin. So, Four women, one man, 12 sons, one daughter. And Joseph had a big family. Some time passes. We pick up his story when Joseph is 17 years old. He is the favorite child in the family of 13. He's daddy's favorite, and there's no doubt. You probably remember that his daddy gave him a piece of clothing. Remember that? A coat of many colors. Oh, and he wore it. 
And every time he wore that plastic coat, his brothers were reminded that Daddy loves him best. Can you imagine their feeling? We're told that Joseph was a dreamer. He had dreams. And he made a mistake of sharing his dreams with his brothers. And they hated him even more. Here's two of the dreams. Genesis 37, verses 5 to 8. Now Joseph had a dream. He told it to his brothers. And they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the field. Wheat. And then behold, my sheep arose and stood upright. And indeed your sheep stood all around and bowed down to my sheep. Would you have told that to your 11 older brothers? Your 10 older brothers and your No. His brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. He does it again in verse 9. He dreamed still another dream and told it to his brother. said, Look, I've dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars, <coughs> number 11, they bowed down to me. Ouch. If you have older brothers, and if you'd have done this, if I'd have done, I wouldn't be here today if I'd have done this with my older brothers. So they didn't care for this one at all. And one day, Joseph's brothers were tending to the flock, and Jacob, the father, sent Joseph to check on He didn't have to work but he had to check. He was a supervisor at this point in time. And they see him coming. Why did they see him coming? Because he's wearing a neon coat. This is a flashing billboard. Daddy loves me best. Daddy loves me best. Daddy loves me best. And the closer he got, the matter they became. And they decided to kill him. And I understand their decision, don't you? But some thought it was a bad idea. They were going to throw him in a pit. And then they see a caravan. God is pulling strings the whole story. And then they see a caravan of traders heading to Egypt. And they decided, well, let's sell him. Surely we can get something for him. And they sold him into slavery. Their own brother for 20 pieces of silver. To cover up their crime, they took that coat that they hated so much and they covered it with animal blood and they took it back to their father and said, look what we found. And he knew the coat and he surmised that wild animals had killed his favorite. And Joseph, he thought, was dead. Well, the caravan makes it to Egypt and Joseph is sold. He sold to the house of Potiphar. Potiphar was a high-ranking official for Pharaoh. And Joseph was a very good slave. He became Potiphar's right-hand man. And life was good. Scripture tells us that Joseph was a handsome man. Potiphar's wife liked handsome men. And she began to pursue Joseph. And Joseph resisted her, and she chased him, and he resisted, and she chased him, and he resisted. And day after day after day, he said no, and she got mad. 
And she made up a story and told her husband, that slave, Joseph, has been pursuing me. While it was not true, the husband took it hook, line, and sinker and had Joseph thrown into prison. He'd done nothing to deserve this. But he's in prison. Tough life so far, wouldn't you say? Hated by the brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused, thrown into prison. But now in prison, he became the head trustee. While he was there, some more were thrown in that worked for Pharaoh. One was his cupbearer or butler, and one was his baker. And they had dreams in prison. And Joseph interpreted their dreams. And the interpretations came true. The cupbearer got his job back, and the baker was put to death. When the cupbearer goes back towards Pharaoh when he's leaving the prison. Joseph said, put in a good word for me. Tell the Pharaoh I'm wrongly accused and I'm innocent and help me out. Cupbearer said he would, but he forgot. In chapter 41, we're told that Pharaoh had a dream. It had bothered him and all of his kingdom, his wise men were called to interpret the dream and they couldn't. And that's when the cupbearer remembered the guy in prison that could interpret dreams. And he told Pharaoh. And Pharaoh calls for Joseph. Joseph's 30 years old now. 30 years old. So for 13 years, he's been a slave and a prisoner. But he gets to go and interpret Pharaoh's dream for him. And he does. You can read the dream in chapter 41. What the dream was, it was warning Pharaoh that there was going to be seven years of bumper crops followed by seven years of, well, of nothing, famine. And so Joseph persuaded Pharaoh that he could help him. And Joseph became Pharaoh's right hand man. And because of Pharaoh's dream, Joseph knew exactly what to do. For seven years he stored grain all over Egypt, knowing that in year number eight it was going to be bad. He was preparing for the famine. And during those seven years, so he's pushing 40 now, during those seven years he married and had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. It's interesting his two sons' names. Manasseh and Ephraim. The name Manasseh means to forget. And the name Ephraim means to be fruitful. Think about that for a second. To forget and to be fruitful. He might as well have named his children forget it and drive on. Seriously. That was the principle that he lived by. To take the lemons and to make lemonade. To not let his situations define him. To not be anchored to the problems that he had. Great man, Joseph. So famine came. And Egypt had plenty. Because of Joseph's hard work. Really because of God pulling the strings. And putting Joseph in the right place at the right time. 
back in his homeland, Jacob, Joseph's father, heard that there was grain in Egypt. And they needed grain because he had a huge family and had lots of cattle. And they were not going to make it. So Joseph's ten older brothers were sent to buy grain in Egypt. But Joseph's youngest brother, Benjamin, the last born, stayed home with his father, Jacob. It had been 20 years now since they'd sold him into slavery, at least. When they got there, Joseph recognized his brothers. Stop the story for a minute. There you are, a very powerful man in Egypt, pretty much number two to Pharaoh, and these ten brothers that sold you into slavery are standing before you. Do you have a plan? <laughs> Some of us probably would have had a plan. But it's an amazing story what happened. He recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. How could they? How could their little brother now be such an important man? In the next few chapters, 42 and 43, Joseph puts in a plan to get all 11 brothers before him. And in chapter 44, he gives them a test to see if they had changed in that. I'm really convinced of this. You might want to read it at home. But we are going to pick up the story at verse 1 of chapter 45. The scene now is that Joseph, in a great position of power, has his 11 brothers before him. Can you imagine his heart racing? And can you imagine the surprise that the brothers are going to get when he spills the beans about who he is. Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father alive? Now, this is a television show. The credits come up at this point, don't they? And you've got to wait all summer long until next fall to see what happens. This is one of those moments. Is my father alive? But his brothers could not answer him. So dismayed were they at his presence. I'd imagine, wouldn't you? What's he going to do to us? This is it. We're gone. Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I'm your brother Joseph who you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing or harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He's made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and rule over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not delay. And he took care of his family. 
after all he had been through, he practiced the final principle. Forget it and drive on. He didn't let his past ruin his future. I think about things are you going to get bitter or are you going to get better? Joseph could have gone either way, couldn't he? But he got better. Like Paul in Philippians 3.13, Joseph forgot what was behind and reached towards the things that were ahead. This is great news for all of us. No matter what the situation is behind us. Our failures are not final. Our mistakes are not anchors. Our yesterdays don't have to ruin our todays or ruin our tomorrows. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, If anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. Everything old has passed away. And behold, all things have become new. I love that. The gospel is all about change. Sinners to saints, lost to found, hell bound to heaven bound. What the Fido principle does is it overcomes the Cinderella complex. And that's another sermon. Let me tell you what the Cinderella complex is. It's what the devil tried to do to us. He tells us you're ugly and you need to hide in the castle when you're not and you're beautiful and you need to get out. When we leave this place, we need to understand that the past is the past and forget it and drive on. Years ago, I heard a story of a girl who came into a church and she had a bad past. and Everybody in the town knew of her bad past. Drugs and alcohol and prostitution and it was not a good picture. But she became a Christian in this church and everybody was so thankful and she taught kids and everything was great until she started dating the pastor's son who had grown up at the church and never had, they thought, done a bad thing in his life and they didn't quite see these two belonging together. And there was a lot of talk. A lot of talk. That, well, she just wasn't up to speed. So finally one day after church, after hearing a lot of the talk, the young man came up to the pulpit and he stood there and he said, I understand you're talking about me and Janet. And I want you to know that what you're really doing is slandering Christ. They scratched their heads over and said, what are you talking about? And he said, does Christ have the ability to forgive sins or not? Is the blood of Christ able to wash away your sins or not? And all of a sudden, weeping could be heard in the sanctuary because they realized what they were doing was slandering Jesus and his ability to forgive sin. It doesn't matter what the past is. What matters is you have a connection to God today and that you can forget those things and drive on. Bless you if you do that. Let's pray.